Major support for Out to Lunch is provided by the law firm of Jones Walker, established in 1937 with over 375 attorneys in offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base. JonesWalker.com. And by Three Roll Estate Craft Rum Distillery, crafting premium rum from their own Louisiana sugarcane. Three Roll is cane to glass. From Tula Tacos and Amigos in downtown Lafayette, we're out to lunch with Christian Mader, publisher and editor of The Current. It's business, Acadiana style. Welcome to Out to Lunch. I'm Christian Mader. Most customers are looking for value. They want the best product they can get at the best price. And the best price usually means the cheapest. No one I know haggles up. In the jewelry business, it kind of works another way. Diamonds aren't just precious, they're priceless. And priceless is another word for expensive. Consider the tradition of spending three months' pay on a diamond engagement ring. The whole concept is about measuring how much you love someone by how much you spend on them. In that environment, it's unusual for a jeweler to market their products as a value. My guests, Blake and Maddie Gotro, have a different approach. Their shop, Acadian Estates and Custom, can get you whatever precious stone you want, and they can do it at a good price. You want a six-carat diamond? Well, they can get you that. Or they can upcycle your outdated family heirlooms. Acadian is one of the few jewelry shops that actively buys pieces from the public instead of on consignment. They also retrofit legacy jewelry into new fashions. Blake and Maddie are married, and Blake comes from a family of retailers. His family owns and operates Acadian Pond. Maddie also works as a wine sales rep. Blake and Maddie Gotro, welcome to Out to Lunch. Yeah, thanks for having us. Thank you so much. So, Blake, the first question I had in my mind, because you started a jewelry store, which is something I haven't heard of someone do in a, in a while, I would think. I feel like the ones that I know of in town here in Lafayette have kind of just been here forever. It would just seem like getting the inventory off the ground would be nuts. I mean, how do you even start with that? I mean, yeah. you having to, like, shell out a fortune just to get stuff in the store? Well, you do have to do that a little bit, but there's also memo programs. Okay. So um, one of the big benefits of doing appointment only is we can kind of curate the experience on the spot. And so let's say you want tennis bracelets. Instead of us having $40,000, $50,000 worth of tennis bracelets on site all the time, we can order them in specifically for you. Hmm. And uh, if they sell, they sell. If they don't, we can send them right back kind of avoid some of the overhead and keep our margins lower that way as well. So, so how do people kind of know to come and do that? I mean, I would think of like typical marketing around this, right? You'd see a billboard with a, a setting on it or something like that. I mean, but if you're kind of almost coming to people in a concierge kind of way, like, sure. help, like you're, I'm your jewelry broker in a way, like That's how do right. you even market that out to them without sort of saying, well, here's the product up front, come buy it. Yeah. Some of that is difficult, right? Like relaying how the experience, you know, happens. Um, but I think like once you meet us the first time, we kind of get a touch and feel of, mm-hmm. you know, what you're looking for. And sometimes it's a second meeting to get exactly what you want. But uh, we do have a lot of things on site as well. So mm-hmm. just kind of navigate it and try to make it happen for you. Yeah, sure. So, so Maddie, y'all, y'all buy stuff from walk-ins, meaning that you, I, I say walk-ins. And what I mean is, is like a lot of folks might be familiar with the consignment process, right, where they give you something and if you sell it, they get a piece of it, you get a piece of it. But y'all are actually buying the pieces, right? To where like it's part of your inventory, which means you're, you're sort of taking on that risk. So how do you pick pieces that you feel like are gonna sell? Like what do you look for in a piece that's gonna work? 
Well, there's a lot of different aspects of picking something. Um, I, I would say uh, it's not everything that's always going to be on trend, but at the end of the day, it's what the stone will look like and uh, continue stories. You know, a lot of times people will look at jewelry and they always have a sentimental value of some sort. Mm -hmm. um, so they'll look at a piece of jewelry and say, oh, my great, great, great mother, grandmother had one just like this. Mm -hmm. And so it just reminds them of people. And I think that that kind of gives people a really good sense of um, I, I, I want to buy it. Yeah. You know. So are you guys like manufacturing the settings in house? Like if somebody comes with a, uh, a stone and they, they, you know, it's an older stone or something like that, but you want to change out the setting or the band or something like that. I mean, are y'all actually doing that jewelry work? Yeah. Yes. So we actually like, we'll take, we'll design renders and we 3d print in house and we even have casting equipment to cast it. So yeah, like I brought a piece today that, um, we're working for a client right now. So this is like the, the beginning of the process but yeah we started from the ground up you know yeah. you can give me a picture or we can design something from you like without inspiration yes yeah so do most people come in and they have like i mean i look i mean i the only time i've dealt with jewelry was when i bought my wife her engagement ring yeah, i yeah. look for mine right and it's like i have a very simple band right i didn't even know how i would begin to think about <laughs> sure the design component of this i mean so pretend i'm a customer here and i'm coming in and i'm saying like i want to buy something for my spouse, I mean, but they don't know where to start. I mean, how do you even begin no, to help e them with that? Exactly. And I think that's a uh, part of the benefit of using us mm -hmm. and like having our undivided attention since we do work one-on-one -on -one with you. Mm -hmm. We like have a, a large emphasis on education. There's a lot of trust that goes into buying jewelry as well because, you know, like you said, you're not super familiar of what a two-carat diamond should go for or yeah. like what the value is in this metal or the setting. And so that's kind of like our approach is by the end of the experience with us, we'll educate you. So when you do give your wife that engagement ring, you know exactly why you picked that stone out, why we went with that setting. And in the end, you feel like it was your decision ultimately. And you like had all the tools to make that decision. Yeah. And so, yeah. So let's talk about, you mentioned trends, right? Mm -hmm. um, sure. I, I got to say, I don't keep up with jewelry trends, but I mean, it would seem like kind of the concept around jewelry, right, is the lasting pieces. You're talking about something that goes on and on and on. And so it's like one thing when you deal with fast fashion, like this shirt could be really ugly. I'm going to throw it away. Right. Yeah. But, if, but if a piece goes out of date, right. I mean, so how quickly do trends in jewelry actually change? I think it's a, a graduated process. Like it's extended. It's not overnight for sure. And so your engagement rings, I think you kind of want to stay timeless for the most mm -hmm. part. Yeah. That way, like you said, it's lasting. Mm -hmm. um, but maybe some more of the fashion rings or cocktail rings, uh, pendants, those change. You know, every few years you'll start seeing different color metals being more popular than others. Like mm -hmm. in the early 2000s, everything was white gold. And you're starting to see this uh, evolution where everything's in yellow now. Hmm. Yeah. And I would also say, like, for engagement rings, people are starting to go with more of that classic look. It's a solitaire. It's a thin band. And then maybe some claw prongs just to kind of zhuzh it up a little bit. Yeah. Um, but the trend that we're really seeing right now is stackable bands. And so that's something that you can kind of switch on different fingers and things like that. So your engagement ring, it's your classic. It's your timeless piece. And then you can kind of make it fun and, and uh, exciting with your bands that you stack with it. Mm -hmm. And so I would say that that's what we see more than anything right now. Now. Is bridal most? I mean, I can keep talking about it in those ways. I mean, I guess for a, a lot of folks, that is maybe their only real experience with a jeweler, right? Sure. Um, I mean, which makes sense. It can be expensive, and it's a, a, a big thing that we do. But, I mean, how much of that actually is 
your business? Is it mostly just folks dealing with bridal? I mean, are there people coming in to buy, you know, tennis bracelets, those kinds of things too? Absolutely. Yeah. We touch on everything, but I think yeah. with bridal would be our specialty. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, and we also do a lot of, like you were saying, um, repurposing heirlooms. We'll take the stones or even the metal and recast it into new designs mm-hmm. to get back on trend, you know? And yeah. Uh, But yeah, I think bridal, we're a bridal house and, you know, we don't like to be... Um, Boxed. Boxed in by yeah, that. Yeah, sure. like we have the ability to do anything. But yeah, yeah bridal's our big thing. Uh, you know, one thing that strikes me too is, I mean, like the, the actual value of the product itself. I mean, I, I don't have a good sense. I mean, of course, people, you know, you, you watch TV really late at night, right? They're selling you bars of gold. The idea being that, you know, the price of gold doesn't fluctuate too much. But, sure. But does it? I mean, doesn't like silver and platinum and diamonds, I mean, don't, don't those... Absolutely. Also fluctuate a good Definitely. bit. Yeah, every day. Like the spot price of gold is ever changing. Uh, you know, it could be ten dollars less an ounce from the beginning of this interview to the end of it, and it changes throughout the day. You know, um, but yeah. So we actually buy and sell bullion as well. Whoa. So we have to definitely be knowledgeable what the spot price is but it's so easy nowadays with the internet just to type in you know gold spot and see it right there and you know base prices right there on the what's driving up or down the price of gold and it like i look i mean i, I obviously would think it would go up or down but sure. even hourly seems nuts to me it <laughs> is yeah no it, it's wild but it's like a commodity like anything else so like interest rates have a big effect the strength of the dollar some yeah. people say it's tied to oil prices it's it's a lot bigger than I think I could quantify for you right here on the spot. But yeah, <laughs> yeah. there's a lot of outside sources that affect the price of gold. Have there been any changes in the kinds of metals that people like? I mean, I mean, to some extent, right, I've, I've heard, and, and please correct me if I'm wrong here, like sort of the legend behind the diamond as the, you know, the symbol of everlasting love. Like this sure. is sort of like a marketing thing in the early 20th century that people sort of just created the idea that a diamond was a valuable thing. So I'm sort of asking, right, I mean, have you guys noticed that other gems and metals have sort of become popular that maybe at other, other times, you know, like, well, it's actually not that expensive, but now they are because everybody wants it. Uh, as far as the expensive aspect, I'm not quite sure, but the uh, lab-grown diamonds are definitely something that's on the, uh, on the rise. Um, and so we kind of go back and forth. We want to make sure that everyone knows that they're the value that they're getting. And yeah. so for the most part, we will sell um, natural diamonds. And that's yeah. what we know. Uh, that That's what Blake's been dealing with. He's a diamond specialist. So we know what a, a natural diamond is and the value of it in the long run. Yeah. Um, and in the lab diamonds, it's a, a diamond in itself. Like, But it's formed in a lab instead of through nature and mind. So we're not talking exactly. about like cubic zirconium here. Like this no. is still Correct. a diamond. How do you make a diamond in the lab yeah they mimic you know then replicate the same thing that happens in earth so heat and pressure yeah uh, and start with carbon you know and that's how it happens how long does it take because doesn't a diamond take like thousands of years to produce millions you know (laughs) absolutely so yeah yeah, i mean they speed that process up really quickly in a lab but um we're also seeing to your point about different stones uh a lot of sapphires and and colored stones as center stones now a little more unorthodox emeralds emeralds. as well that's a huge one that we've been seeing as well yeah so like we're not going to box you in on a diamond if you want to go something else or fun we can do it you know yeah. We love the untraditional style, for sure. Yeah, sure. So talk to me a little bit about the process of, like, you know, upcycling stuff. I mean, if somebody comes in, you know, maybe with an old brooch, right, and, and you're sure. saying, like, I'd like this to be different. I mean, you know, I would imagine the design process is not dissimilar to what you're describing with, like, engagement rings. But, I mean, here you have, you know, a precious piece of something that, 
it's not just that the stone's precious, right? It's connecting somebody to a history or right. a grandparent or something like that. I mean, yeah. how, how does that work? If I bring to you an old, I don't know why I'm fixating on a brooch. I have no brooches. But if I brought you a brooch and said, do something with this, I mean, yeah. what, what kind of approach would you take? Uh, I think first we would decide which, what you would like to repurpose it into. And yeah. then we'll remove the stones and we laser measure every stone so we know exactly the dimensions of everything. Yeah. And then we can even melt that gold down and recast it into it. So, like, the whole sentiment is there, right? Like, we use all the parts. So we just had a customer um, we did a bracelet for that was really special. And what was nice about it was... Um, she had earrings from her husband that was given it to her 50 years ago. And so they were more like younger fashion stuff she wouldn't wear, you know, now. Mm-hmm. But we were able to take those parts and put them on a bracelet. And so every time she looks at her bracelet, we took sea glass from Spain and cut it and refaceted it into gemstones. Mm-hmm. Um, we took buttercup earrings, um, uh, old tennis bracelets. Yeah, her, da- her dad's tie tack. And that was a really uh, sentimental thing for her. So every time she looks at this bracelet, mm-hmm. it, there's some type of memory on it. And so it's really special. So we have yeah. to make sure that we measure everything appropriately. Mm-hmm. And then we can cast it from there. Yeah, so it's great. So every time you look, she looks at her wrist, there's 15, 20 different stories and memories she has. And it's, it's nice. And you can kind of keep those stories along and Put in something more where you could wear it more often, right. like a brooch. You know, not many people are wearing brooches these days, sure. but you know, you definitely don't want to lose that history or that sentiment. You know, you're listening to Out to Lunch. I'm Christian Mader. I'm talking with Maddie and Blake Gotra of Acadian Estates and Custom. Blake, do you go to school to learn to design with jewelry? I mean. I, where does this come from for you? I mean, I know your background was in pawn. I mean, pawn shops do carry jewelry, but I'm, yeah, I'm not aware that they do. They do a lot of repair and jewelry service like that. Yeah, was we that do a lot of repair at the at the pawn shops. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, and that's what got my start in jewelry. Yeah. Um, and I think that's where my expertise came in from buying, because yeah. there's uh, there's no safety net when you're buying from the public. Like it's just you and the the piece, and you've yeah. got to decide what its market value is. Right. And so I think that really helped me train. But as far as knowing about gems and diamonds i went to school with gia and they're like a premier laboratory that grades and certifies stones and so i'm a graduated diamond specialist and Mm -hmm. i think that's kind of what kicked off my career in bridal you know 12 years ago yeah yeah Uh, so maddie what what is your role in the shop now i mean i know that you guys are kind of still getting this thing off the ground i mean do you also did you also get a degree from what is it, GIA, right? Yeah, Correct. I actually haven't. Um, oh. And so I've learned a lot. Blake's a great educator. Um, so every single meeting that we sit in, uh, I learn something new about diamonds and, yeah. and different gemstones, gold, all of that. Um, so my role is um, kind of more behind the scenes, but of course, uh, I, I'm always there in meetings, sitting down, uh, mm-hmm. helping with design aspects. Yeah. Um, and so I do a lot of the social media. Since I deal with the social media, yeah. I have direct sure. access uh, to a lot of our customers. And so that's my opportunity to get them know, get to know them a little better yeah. um, and, and just say, like, what exactly are you looking for? That way we can make sure that we have each individual piece and show them. A lot of people want to see live goods right in front of them. That mm-hmm. way they can, um, they can decipher exactly what they want. And so that's my opportunity to kind of dig deep and, and figure out what they want. And then, um, and then I kind of bring it all together, and Blake and I come together as a team to make it happen. Yeah, she's, she's short-selling herself a little bit. She does so much for us. I think initially the thought was more behind the scenes for her just because she didn't have that education. But uh, from the first meeting she sat in to give, like, that perspective, um, and she's got great taste in fashion, that it was so nice to have her there, and they immediately would defer to her on every styling question. Like, I wasn't even in the room. And that was perfect. Like, that was fine. And so um, it's worked out really nice, and, like, working with your wife is, like, pretty special. And so yeah. it's been it's been a joy, and, like, um, 
you know, she is a wine rep, so we always have bubbles in the office. Yeah. It calms yeah. nerves a little bit too, <laughs> yeah. you know, because yeah. it could be, a, it's a big decision for a guy to come in, especially by themselves yeah. with uh, just a little bit of um, insight of what the future bride would like, you mm-hmm. know, so it's always uh, a little nerve wracking for him to sit down. So it's like, let's crack open a beer or, or a glass of water, whatever you'd like. You I, know? I came in with a slideshow. Like I was given, you know, like here, you got your notes. here are the choices. <laughs> sure. You bring this to somebody who knows what they're doing yeah. and you make sure you don't screw this up, Christian. So I, I, um, I am sort of still curious about like kind of the marketing aspect for this. I'm sort of thinking about even my own experience, but like, I don't really know that I shopped around, right? Like sure. that there wasn't a sense of, you know, well, let me go check out this store over here. I'm going to look at this store. What can I get here? Because it feels like such a big investment, I guess, like, and because you're kind of looking you know, you're going to do some level of customization, right? Like you're not necessarily just, I would think, right? Kind of walk into a scenario and you're like, I'm going to buy that one. I can go find that same, you know, ring at another store at a different price, right? Right. So like, how do you kind of break into that market? It seems like, you know, there will be a lot of people who really, it's just like a relationship with a jeweler. So to some extent you're having to teach people to establish that relationship with you, right? No, absolutely. absolutely. It's a double-edged sword, right? Yeah. So like if you already... If the customer already has a jeweler, it's very difficult to become their new jeweler, but in, you know, the opposite is also true. Once you become their jeweler, it's very hard to lose your customer, you know, but it's all about relationships. Mm -hmm. So like, I really like the way we approach the business. It's, you know, similar to this. We sit down, it's very informal, but it is upscale and um, it's approachable. It's Mm -hmm. like, we take a lot of the intimidation out of it. It's not so sterile and, you know, matter of fact. And I think the majority of these days is like some custom aspect rather than just like buying right off the rack with a ring, right? Like just instead of going to a case and pointing at a ring and pulling it out, someone wants to have a unique touch and like, especially like, you know, on an engagement ring that you're telling your, your love that, you know, this is, this is for you that I want to be with you. You know, you want to have some sort of reflection of yourself in that, I think. And so, um, I think we like really approach it in a way that you have creative, you know, control and we love to you know, inspire you in that way. Yeah. Yeah. So I think it's mostly just relationships will kind of build that out and, you know, got to meet the customer, you know, definitely. Who are you guys finding are those customers? I mean, you guys are youngish, right? I mean, so, so, I mean, is it mostly young people that are coming in? I mean, what, what is, what is the typical person that's walking into your shop? When you speak bridal, I would think generally it's just younger because you're, you know, earlier in your life. But, um, yeah, we also do a lot of like, when you talk about the repurposing heirlooms and stuff that kind of opens the whole thing up. Right. So we have um, a wide range of customers, but as far as your bridals, I'd say it's like 35 and under, you know? So, I mean, one thing that, 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 popped in my head was we were talking earlier about you know the the role that you guys play in acquiring pieces from folks who come in and of course I'm thinking about there was a story a couple years ago about like you know Drew Brees getting you know basically defrauded right like and here's a guy putting out a chunk of change on a lot of money and like and and clearly not getting it right or, or whatever I mean how do you spot I mean, do you guys have to really look out for fakes? Is that a real risk out there in a local market like this? Absolutely. Yeah. Ten years ago, it was a lot easier to deal with fakes than it is now. Huh. Um, but thankfully, technology has also ramped up in a sense where we have a lot more support to spot fakes. So um, 10 or 15 years ago, your diamond imitations were like your CZs, which were like plastic. And you also had moissanites, okay. which are like another gemstone that kind of simulates a diamond's look. Um, those two are very easy to spot the difference between that and a diamond. But like Maddie talks about lab grounds now, they are a diamond. Mm-hmm. So like they test as a diamond, they look as a diamond. Um, so we actually had to invest in some pretty expensive hardware to have screeners. 
and so we can pop it in our machine and show you right there on the spot whether you're buying genuine or like natural or lab mm -hmm. and so I think uh, Drew Brees just kind of got in the game early <laughs> yeah you know and unfortunately uh, for him unfortunately yeah. yeah I think that had a happy ending if I remember correctly I can't remember I, I don't want to like completely misrepresent what happened I just yeah. remember that and be like dang I mean that was a lot of money because he like filed suit I think yeah I mean, he did. it, it he made did. A, it was a big deal it, it made was. a lot of headlines uh I mean, yeah, that's an interesting. I didn't thought about it from the other the other side of the risk too, which is, I mean, I haven't gone through this myself, right? They do a lot of you, know, you sit with a jeweler and they show you and they're like, look, and yeah. you can see because there are mm -hmm. impurities and stuff, and they search. I said, like, this how you know it's it's real, but I'm sort of still taking it on faith that they're telling me it's right. Right, that's where the trust aspect, aspect. comes in for yeah. sure. Yeah. 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 So is it? I mean, did I understand correctly? You're saying like you know, one of the risks here is that somebody might try to present an actual diamond it's a lab grown diamond is something that would be natural I mean, or they may not even know it was lab grown right like right. To, you know I don't want to Sure. Uh, yeah, sure. Sure. Yeah. Sure. Yeah, it's not so, necessarily people trying to to, to defraud pull one over, right. but yeah, yeah. But that, maybe sometimes they are. Who knows? But <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, but that machine is like a, a big help. The screeners yeah. nowadays are a must in your industry if you're buying from the public, just because lab has become so prevalent in the jewelry game. Yeah. I mean, what is the price difference between a lab oh, and a natural? Significant. Yeah. Yeah. So like. Um, I would say, like on your larger carried goods, it's more than half off, like easily. Yeah. Yeah, easily. It's, so, do people just go with lab because they want to save a buck? I mean, it would seem like for most, or, or do they look a lot different to the naked eye? They look exactly they, the same. Exactly the same. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I think, um, like, as far as price goes, that is a, a factor. But I think also, like, some people have a strong uh, sense of going with lab over natural for the ethical reasons sure. maybe or the environmental aspects more right. more so in my opinion are, are like more impactful where the lab is like a little less impactful on the environment or I say a little so what I, I just I, I feel like I've not heard a whole lot about this but I mean so I'm just I mean, what distinguishes a good lab diamond from a bad one is there even a distinction there yeah I mean they have different clarities and colors of lab grown but thing, yeah. because it's such a controlled environment they can really hone on getting really nice goods in lab um, yeah. yeah like good color good clarity all of that stuff so. yeah they're exceptional mm -hmm. in, in color and clarity um, the issue is that they're so new that it's really hard to di dictate what they're going to be worth in five or ten years and if they flood the market with them everything comes down to supply and demand and yeah. so if there's a ton of them everywhere then I mean Sure. The value. What's the, what's the exactly. point? Right. Exactly. <laughs> There's a lot that goes into getting a, yeah. a diamond that's formed in Earth naturally and mm -hmm. mining it. Like I, I'm pretty romantic about the whole aspect that the Earth gives us these diamonds, and yeah. I've always been fascinated with gemstones and minerals. And as a kid, and so I really like the natural aspect that you know this was in the Earth for millions of years being formed. It has these imperfections because this happened at that point in time when it was being created, and there's just a lot of effort that goes into it that I think. Uh, a lot of people can appreciate as well in that natural. Is there like a George Harrison of jewels, right? I don't know if you guys are Beatles fans. In my head, I'm thinking like everybody's like a John or a Paul, and they're all like a fixate on on them. But but you know, there's always the, like the quiet jewel that you're like somebody comes in and they're like, you know, I'm not really interested in a diamond. Everybody gets diamonds, right? I want something different. I want a George Harrison dark horse jewel. I mean, what would that? be you know something that you're sort of like there's a romance to it but maybe it just doesn't have quite the fanfare and if everybody listened to it you'd realize this jewel's first solo album was quite good i would think that that would be my george harrison of the center stone would be the old euro okay and it's still a diamond what it is it's more of an antique cut so like late 1800s early 1900s before the modern realm brilliant 
um, these old euros are in place and they have less facets and um, they kind of they have a different look and I think there's you know some people like vintage a lot and so yeah. that's my George Harrison of the center stone would be the old euro I think <laughs> yeah for Matt, sure. what about you you can insert whatever overlooked musical artist you like but I mean <laughs> I would kind of circle back to uh, gemstones. I love whenever someone wants to switch it up a little bit and yeah. go with an emerald or uh, we just recently did a teal colored sapphire. What's the what's the name? Is it teal yeah, colored sapphire? Yeah. Okay, got that right. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think uh, just having a, a different center stone um, just makes it makes it fun, you know. Is that becoming more or less common that, that people go to an alternative to a diamond altogether? Like say like, you know, I, I don't feel the need to have a diamond engagement ring or whatever, I, I would just prefer something different. Is that more common now? Yeah, I would think so. I would think so too, yeah. Yeah, and we're here to listen. Like, we're yes. not here to push anything. We're just here to create for you. Yeah, exactly and what people want. Then yeah. that's, what, that will be, that's what we can create. It sounds like, look, I mean, it's, your goal is really to keep people from feeling intimidated by it. I mean, you guys do have a real easy manner about it. It sounds like folks must have a lot of fun coming in and just sort of talk to you about it, it all. Is yeah, fun. yeah, we actually compare it to a double date a lot of times. Um, <laughs> I like Blake said, it's a, it's a lot like this interview too, where we sit down and uh, and I'm a romantic at heart too, so I'm always like, so tell me about your love story because I want to hear what brings people together, and then at the end of the day, we're bringing uh, people together uh, for the long haul too, and so that's just a lot of fun for us. Yeah, we're we're people people like people people <laughs> at, at heart and so I really like developing new relationships and mm -hmm. I, my idea is that if we run into someone that we've done work with at like festival or downtown alive that we could hang out and it's just like meeting an old friend and so we've actually done wedding band appointments where we end up at central after <laughs> like grabbing a bite you know mm -hmm. and um, I like making new friends in the business too and it's all about relationships at the end of the day yeah well um, thank you guys so much for joining me on out to lunch yeah thank you, thank you for having us my guests today have been Blake and Maddie Gotro of Acadian Estates and Custom. We edited this conversation to fit into our time slot here on KRVS. You can hear our unedited conversation to find out more about Blake and Maddie and what they do by listening to the Out to Lunch Acadiana podcast. You can find and subscribe to that on your podcast app and on our website, itsacadiana.com. If you want to know what we all look like, you can find photos from the show on itsacadiana.com and on our Out to Lunch Acadiana social media. These photos were taken by Aster Morgan, and you can find more of Aster's photos at astermorgan.com. Out to Lunch Acadiana is a production of INO Broadcasting for itsacadiana.com and KRVS 88.7 FM. The producer of our show is Grant Morris. Our technical producer is Eric Merle. Our associate producer is Molly Richard. Our researcher is Leah Erdialis. Today's show was engineered by Dylan Babineau. I'm Christian Mater. I'm editor of The Current, Lafayette's nonprofit news outlet. For stories deeper than the headlines, head to thecurrentla.com. Join me next time for more business and conversation on Out to Lunch Acadiana. Bye-bye. Out to Lunch Acadiana is recorded live over lunch at Tula Tacos and Amigos. Tula Tacos and Amigos offers street-style tacos, margaritas, and an open-air courtyard on Jefferson Street in the heart of downtown Lafayette. Major support for Out to Lunch is provided by the law firm of Jones Walker, established in 1937 with over 375 attorneys in offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base. JonesWalker.com. Mitchell Foreman wrote and performs all the music on Out to Lunch. You can hear Mitchell's music anywhere great jazz is sold or streamed and at MitchellForeman.com.